Hebrews 11, I want you to look again. Notice in this very familiar chapter on faith what Hebrews 11 says about Jacob and Joseph. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning upon the top of his staff. Now, of course, Jacob is old. Jacob is weary and soon to pass in this scene, but before he does, he calls aside Joseph's two sons, his grandchildren, and the Bible says that he places his hand upon their heads, and by faith, he blesses them. It's a a rather detailed story we'll soon get to on Wednesday nights, because as you know, Jacob switched the sons and gave the elder blessing to the younger. The question is, who are Joseph's two sons? Well, that's a critical question, and the answer is in the text uh, all the way back in Genesis. You'll see it on the screen, perhaps, in a moment. Genesis 41, verse 51, I'll read it to you. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God, said he, hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. So we know one of the son's name, and we know what it means. Verse 52, and the name of the second called he Ephraim. For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now, wait a minute. Manasseh, a name that means forgetting, and Ephraim, a name that means fruitful. And why is that critical? And why is that significant? Our text, Hebrews 11 again, you'll notice Joseph's faith in verse 22. By faith, Joseph, when he died made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. All right, so here's the picture. Joseph in his youth was sold into slavery to an Egyptian by his own brothers. Presumed dead by Jacob, Joseph ends up being falsely accused of assaulting his master's wife, for which he is now imprisoned in Egypt. Years have passed, as you know, and most Anyone in Joseph's sandals would mean years of bitterness, years and years of anger and grief and animosity. For most people, all those years would add up to a lot of hatred and vengeance. And so against the very ones who have wounded your soul, including a lot of anger for some people, a lot of anger toward God himself. And yet here's these names that he gives in Egypt Joseph bestows upon his boys way back then, Manasseh, for God, said Joseph, has made me forget all my toil. And then Ephraim, Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in all my affliction. In other words, you know this, right? There's no bitterness, no hatred, no vengeance or regret or blame. Which is why, verse 22, Joseph demonstrates his faith by what? We just read it. By predicting the exodus. He gave mention of their departing. That's exodus. And wanting his own bones to be buried, not as a mummy in some Egyptian tomb or a pyramid like any one of his stature would have been given, but rather in the land of his father and his treacherous brothers. Joseph wanted to draw near and embrace, and forgive, and restore all that he once had with those who had wronged him. And why? As a matter of fact, how? 
By what miracle of grace was he ever able to do this? Well, beloved, it is by the same miracle that you and I are also able to forget and be fruitful in the land of affliction. I'm not exactly sure why the Lord brought me to this text and this message for a Lord's Day morning, but I know this. I know that there's nothing more helpful or needful for the people of God than to be fruitful in this dark world and not to hold on to that that robs us of that fruit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that in every way you will speak to our hearts. And Lord, you did lead me to this text and to this message, and, and you know all of us. You know our hearts and our needs, and I, and I thank you, Lord, for convicting me and helping me. And I praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. One of the unique, interesting revelations about the life and testimony of this man, Joseph, is that no one else in all of Scripture wept or is recorded to have wept more than he did. Not even Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. I'm going to read to you very quickly some texts to illustrate this. This is way back in Genesis. And Joseph turned himself about from them and wept. Chapter 43 and verse 30. I'm going to read it to you. And Joseph made haste. For his bowels did yearn upon his brother, and he sought where to weep, and he entered into his chamber and wept there. In chapter 45, I'm reading from verse 14, and he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck, and he wept, and Benjamin wept. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them, and after that his brethren talked with him. Reading from chapter 46. In verse 29, and Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, to Goshen, and presented himself unto him, and fell on his neck, and wept on his neck a good while. In chapter 50 and verse 1, it says that they wept, and basically it says that they wept for 70 days. And of course, you know this, all of this weeping takes place after his deliverance. So now add to that, and just imagine your moment how much he had already wept down in that pit, having been sold into slavery by his brothers. Later in Potiphar's house, falsely accused, how much he wept, and then in prison for two full years. I'll say it again, nobody in the Bible is recorded to have shed as many tears as this man Joseph. And of course, the bitterness and the reasons and the causes for that bitterness in Joseph's heart are unparalleled in the Word of God. Joseph was more mistreated, he was more betrayed, more lied about, used, abused, and misunderstood, perhaps, than any other man in Scripture other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so, of course, of course, what he says in the Bible, when he says that God hath caused me to forget all of the toil And all the pain that was caused from my father's house, when Joseph can testify to that, everybody ought to listen. Beloved, you do realize that nothing is more debilitating or paralyzing to a person's life than the poison of bitterness and disappointment, of anger and enmity, and nothing blesses and enhances and graces a person's life any more than forgiveness and kindness and goodwill. 
When the Lord Jesus looked over that mob who had stripped him there in public, and that same mob who had tortured him in front of his own mother, and when he still said, Father, forgive them, he demonstrated in full what the life of Joseph teaches in part, that Satan cannot get a handle on a man or a woman who is victorious over bitterness from any injuries in the present or the past. Which brings us to three extremely helpful, I think powerful, needful things in light of Joseph's astonishing and beautiful declaration, his testimony, that in spite of all of the hatred, all the betrayal, and all the acrimony that he endured at the hands of his family and his friends, in spite of all of his suffering and sorrow, and his own personal injustices, Joseph could still say what he does in naming Manasseh in naming Ephraim, declaring with those beautiful positive names and words that he was free from the past, he was free from all the reasons for the revenge and hostility and bitterness, the grievance and the spite that could have been in his heart. Three secrets to Joseph's victory. The first one you'll notice, number one, is to release the fault. If they'll put verse 51 on the text from Genesis 41, here's what it says. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God, said he, hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. Now, wait a minute. Follow this carefully. It's very clear in Joseph's testimony exactly what it is that God wants to do, that God wants to do with all the disappointments and all the offenses and all of the betrayals that you've had as well. Joseph said that God did this. God hath made me forget. In other words, forgetting is what God desires. Remembering, keeping score, seething, plotting, stewing, holding on. That's what Satan wants. If you're here this morning and you want what the devil wants for your life, then by all means, keep that ledger. By all means, keep a tally on, on, on who's done you wrong and what exactly they did and when. You drink that poison every day, hoping that the other person will get sick from it. But that's not God's will. Well, I'll tell you what, Pastor. After what I've been through, what that person did to me, I don't want God to make me forget. Okay then I will guarantee you, you won't forget. If you don't want God's way, you'll stuck in your own way. And all I can say is good luck with that. I've seen the end of that story. However, if you're here today and you have the same desire of Joseph, who is a perfect type of our Lord Jesus Christ, if you want to forget the wrongs of the past and be fruitful, then you can definitely find mercy with the Lord because that's what God does. In other words, it's when you truly want what God wants. Okay? His will is your will. That's when God does a work in your life. Think about the Beatitudes. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, those who are merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Why? Because God delights in mercy. The old timers used to call it cooperating with God. Since God wanted Joseph to release the fault, all that Joseph really needed to do was release it. Because he had an ally in heaven. God did a work in Joseph's heart because Joseph wanted that work done in his heart. Do you? 
Do you really? You see, folks, we cannot undo the past. I don't know what you're upset about, what you're bitter about. You can't undo that. We cannot change what's already occurred. So that the only thing that we can really do with all our hurts and our personal injustices is give it to God. It's just let it, release it. Now, again, in all honesty, we can't do that in the flesh. There's not a, a, a way possible. In the flesh, on your own, by, your sore, by yourself, you can't do this. James 4.1 says, from whence come? Where do these fightings and wars among you come from? And he says, come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members. That means your flesh. There's just no way that our carnal selves can ever just let something go. So what does James say in the next verse? He says, the spirit that dwelleth in us, hallelujah, we have that. He giveth more grace, and he giveth grace to the humble. And the next verse says, submit yourselves therefore to God and resist the devil. In other words, God wants you to release the fault. So release it. In other words, let it go. And even though in the flesh you cannot, God will make it happen. For God said, Joseph, God did this. God hath made me forget all my toil in all my father's house. Some of you have heard me tell years ago we were living, when we first moved here, our first house was a townhouse, one of those quadplexes over there by Jupiter Hospital on Jupiter Lakes Boulevard. And I remember our first spring there, we had one of those big South Florida downpours. They last about three days, just rain and rain. The water just picks up and covers the courtyard. And you know what happens a lot after those spring rains is that there's a little mini plague of frogs, dozens and dozens of little tiny baby frogs hopping around our courtyard. And as you can imagine, our seven-year-old Ricky at the time absolutely loved that. He went outside and he played and he played with those little frogs. I use the word played. Tortured might be a better example, but he, he messed with them, shall we say. One night I went to his room to tell him good night and pray with him, and he was just so exhausted, he was already falling fast asleep. The only thing is I noticed his right hand was clenched tight like that. So I sat next to him, I thought, well, that's kind of weird. And so I pried his fingers open, and there it was, smashed and smelly, this tiny little frog. I tried CPR on it, <laughs> little Kermit. I tried reviving him in the cold water of the toilet when I flushed him, but it, it didn't work. Now, can you imagine for a moment if I just let Ricky sleep with that thing all night in his hand and clenched fists and then, and then let him have it all the next day? Bring it to church with him on Sunday morning, the next week. Of course not. As his father, I didn't want that for him. But you know, that this is exactly what people do with old hurts and wrongs and heartaches at the hands of other people. They just, in their flesh, refuse to let it go. And I want to say something this morning to all of us here, including me, beloved. It's past. It's dead. It's rotting. And to your own detriment, you will squeeze that thing and not let it go. Pastor, somebody hurt me. The best thing you can do about that is forget it. And to forget in the spiritual sense it doesn't mean that you, you have no recollection of what anybody ever did. Joseph didn't have amnesia when he forgot all of his father's house. 
<clears throat> he knew all their names. He remembered their names. He knew exactly what they did. He didn't forget all of that, what they had specifically done. Oh, no, no, no. But what Joseph's talking about is letting go of the sting and the revenge that comes from it. Did you know that in the Gospel of Luke, when the Lord Jesus is giving that great sermon on forgiveness, the word that he uses there, the word for forgive, it's the exact same word that he uses a little bit later when he commands the fever to depart. He commanded that fever to go. The exact same word for forgive. It literally means there to let it loose. In other words, for the Lord Jesus, forgiveness begins by letting it go. It begins by not holding on to pass grievances or hurts or disappointments. Release the fault. Because in God's estimation, they're in the past. Whatever it is, it's water under the bridge. And if you want God to continue to make you fruitful, to do a work of grace in your hearts, you'll have to begin by letting loose, letting God take that sting away by helping you forget the past. That's number one. Number one is release the fault. The second thing you'll notice, number two, is rejoice in the fruit. In other words, he forgot the faults, but he remembered the blessings. In verse 21 of our text in Hebrews, when Grandpa Jacob puts his hand on Ephraim's head, you do realize, beloved, that he was blessing a boy who Joseph called fruitful in all his afflictions. Now, beloved, please don't miss this. It may be entirely true this morning that someone in your past or some situation even, <clears throat> it may be absolutely true that something was completely unfair to you or someone did you wrong. It may be absolutely true. But it is also true that in addition to whatever that was, yea, in multiplication, all of that wrong in the midst of that day to this day, in the midst of all of it, God has been entirely good to you. Amen. What did Joseph say? In the land, in the land of affliction, God hath caused me to be fruitful. In other words, now please follow this. This man found a perspective that included the entire picture so that he didn't just see the wrong. He also saw all of the other good, including, by the way, the good mercies of God toward him. You know, it wasn't exactly a stroke of genius the way that Joseph told his brothers that they would bow down to him someday. I remember many years ago, I was an assistant pastor in Michigan, youth director, bus director. We had 11, 12 buses in those days. And we sent that fleet out every week. And it was tough in the wintertime. In the winter last, you know, it was winter in August in Michigan, basically. And in 1980, the Price of gas at the time, uh, people would do anything to get gas. So we would have these hooligans come, and they would, late in the night, early in the morning, siphon off, steal our, our gas out of our buses. So eventually we put locks on the gas caps. That was a mistake, because then they just poked holes in the gas tank. And that was much more expensive. So one Sunday, we got hit really hard. And so that night, at church, I made an announcement that we were going to catch these thieves once and for all, and so I asked for volunteers who'd like to come that night after church and, you know, stay late and stake out and catch these guys. I should have picked my volunteers, 
Because, you know, especially teenage guys, I was standing there and a bunch of guys came in in their pickup truck. I mean, just a bunch of banshees screaming and yelling with torches and not really torches, but they had camo paint on. They had camo on. And a couple of them actually brought a couple rifles. This is Michigan after all, you know what I'm saying? And so they're all hooping and hollering, yeah, 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 yeah. One kid had a, had a plan with his dad. He and his dad said, what we're going to do is, they had a, a big can, looked like a gas can, and uh, a box of matches. And he said, I said, what's that for? Oh, Brother Jim, we only need to catch one. Because we're going to catch him, we're going to tie him up, we're going to pour this on him like it's gas, and start pretending to strike matches, and he's going to squeal like a pig, Brother Jim, and tell us, everybody. And I'm like, are any of you vigilantes actually Christians by chance? Along with their ridiculous weapons, they had stopped at, you know, the little store and, and stocked up on soda pop and bags of chips and candy bars and cupcakes and beef jerky. I kept thinking, I don't think Special Ops does this the night before a big stakeout. And they're in, they're, midnight comes and they're inside the building looking out windows, you know. I don't know why they weren't outside other than it was cold. It would have been a lot easier to see them. So eventually, about 3 a.m., the gas thieves, sure enough, they showed up. My commandos were all asleep, <laughs> snoring. They were so out of it that the gas thieves could have come up and taken a Twinkie out of their hand, and they would have never known it. Thankfully, we had some men that were vigilant, and they did get caught. And, you know, I got to tell you that the next couple of hours, we all gathered them together. There were about six of them, caught them. I mean, they were terrified. They were shaking pulled them into the pastor's office, and instead of calling the police, we talked to them, we witnessed to them, we prayed for them. For a couple of them, we called their, their dads because they were young enough. And sure enough, one of them started coming to our church. He got saved, baptized. He was a great kid. A little over a year later, this same kid, Michael, came to be about a grievance that he had had concerning some hockey coach, I think, who who wronged him, he would be in college were it not for this hockey coach or something. And he was angry. And he wanted his pound of flesh. And I remember asking him, Michael, how long ago was this? He said, yeah, it's about a year, year and a half ago. I said, that's when you were stealing gas. When you, were, you want to get back at someone and you have forgotten that about that same time, you were a little thief. And worse, you were unsaved and on your way to hell. In other words, look, beloved, life is too short to embitter your spirit with past grievances, especially in the light of how life is so good, of how good God has been to us. So you look and you rejoice at the blessings of God. In other words, here it is. In addition to Manasseh, you must also embrace Ephraim. For God hath caused you to be fruitful. God hath caused you, even in the land of your so-called affliction. Forgetfulness and fruitfulness will equal faithfulness. And you do know, beloved, that God has called us to be fruitful. Now, maybe you haven't looked at it in a while. Maybe you haven't considered it as you should or thought about it, contemplated it for a very long time, but it's still true. Where there's spoonfuls of troubles, there are rivers of blessings. Count your burdens with your fingers. 
but you can count your blessings with the stars. And again, it is when you see God's goodness that you also experience His grace. You remember how good God is, and He will help you forget how bad people are. This is just how God works. Patiently, skillfully, mercifully, in our own carnal hearts, when we humble our hearts before Him. You know, when I was a teenager, there was a television show called The Jeffersons. George and Wheezy. The Jeffersons were this upperly mobile family in the day cl- day clean, uh, dry cleaning business. And they had come a long way. They were moving on up, and they did, to the east side. They finally got a piece of the pie. And now the song's in your head. I'm sorry. But I remember there was this one episode where George Jefferson built a memorial, actually built a museum. It was a museum to himself. And the exhibits were George the father, it's all this. George the husband, made him look like the best husband. George the businessman, George the civic leader. There was one called George the lean years. And of course, that detailed his humble beginnings from a sharecropper's son to this successful businessman. But the point of that whole thing, of that episode, is the problem. And the problem was that while George Jefferson's beginnings were humble, he no longer was. And I remember as a kid, it was actually a pretty good lesson for me that in the midst of blessing, moving on up, we shouldn't be more proud. We should actually be more humble. Remembering all of the good things God demonstrates in our own ornery lives. In other words, Are you really, as a child of God, are you really going to fixate on some transgression that you've endured and not forgive that sinner when you've committed a thousand billion times more against God who's both forgiven you and blessed you with the fruitfulness of Ephraim? When Joseph saw what God was doing, it helped him forget what people had done. So why don't you focus on what God is doing? Which brings us to the third thing in the text. Release the fault. Rejoice in the fruit. Number three, run to the Father. I'm going to read to you, or it might be on the screen, Genesis chapter 50, the last chapter in the Bible. I'm kind of excited and anxious to get to this on Wednesday nights, many Wednesday nights in the future. Verse 19 says, And Joseph said unto them, Fear not. For am I in the place of God? What a statement. What a truth. Am I in the place of God? Now, the Egyptians thought he was. They worshiped him. They put him in the place of God. Verse 20, but as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. In other words, Joseph, you know what he did? He did what every victorious Christian always does. With all of the inequities or the injustices of life that might come his way, he looked to the Father and he took it to the Father. He saw God and then he saw God's purpose. Here in our text in Hebrews chapter 11, you'll notice it says in verse 27 right after our text, by faith Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Here it is, for he endured He endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, wait a minute. Moses endured. What did he endure? He endured people. 
That's what he endured. He endured the wrath of the king. He endured betrayal, mockery, criticism, disloyalty. Moses endured, it says, but how did he do it? By seeing him. By seeing him who is invisible to us. He took his eyes off of the people and put his eyes on the Lord. In the next chapter, Hebrews 12, across the page, you'll notice it says in verse 2, Jesus endured. Well, what did Jesus endure? Beloved, Jesus endured people. You said it was the cross. People made that cross. He endured the shame. Who was shaming him? People were shaming him. How did he endure? Well, it says he looked. He put his eyes on the joy that was set before him. He saw the Father on the and the throne in heaven. See, beloved, it's not as if Joseph has some secret weapon or some hidden antidote to all the bitterness. He doesn't. This is how every believer forgets the sting of the past or the present. He focuses on the power and the purpose of God. To all of us here this morning, I would say, release the fault. Rejoice in the fruit. And of course, run to the Father. I stated at the beginning of the message, and you know something, I have 17 more pages here, but I'm not going to go to them. I stated at the beginning of the message that I'm not sure exactly who or why God led me to this text and these thoughts, but I know this. I know that Christians will never be a blessing. They will never be a light in a dark world. That you can never reach your neighbor for Christ or your brother or your sister or a family member. You will never truly make a difference if you're walking around with dead frogs in your hands. If you have bitterness or anger or rancor, the Holy Spirit of God is not on your life. If you refuse to forgive someone when the holy God of the universe has forgiven you. He has forgiven you. How can you not forgive another? Jacob. Now I want you to think about this blessing for a moment. Jacob had the blessing and the joy of taking his hand and putting on his grandchildren's heads. Do you know who that blessing was brought to him by? Joseph. Had Joseph been like most people? Jacob and his brothers would have died in another land or been executed there. He would have never have had this joy of his grandchildren. Brother Andy can tell you that we have so many funeral preparations through these last many, many years and even more so before uh, Andy was of age. And how many times and how sad it is that people will gather in my office and the arguing will stop, start. And the bickering and the fighting. And it's always over something in the past. And you know what I look at when I see that? I look at the fact that they're robbed of a hand blessing them or their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren. I also look at a life that is not making a difference in the world. I mentioned earlier also that Joseph is a perfect type of our Lord Jesus. Sold into slavery, shamed, betrayed, lied about, down in the pit, brought up, made to sit at the right hand of the king. As an example of our Lord Jesus, 
He provides for anyone in this room, as we sang a moment ago about salvation, rescue the perishing. He provides for you that perfect example. What the Lord Jesus did was give his life. Father, forgive them. He gave his life. He forgave. He was buried. He was resurrected, and now he'll forgive you of your sins, and he'll save you, but only and only if you believe in him alone. Trust in Christ as your Savior. Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed for just a moment. I wonder on this Lord's Day morning who might say, Pastor Blaylock, I'm, I'm saved today. I'm a child of God. But I needed this message. You know what? It's entirely possible that you've buried this rancor or this venge, vengefulness or this, this hurt so far down that you forgot about it. That, you know, you buried it, it's gone. It may be in a dad who did something to you or a brother or a, or a boss. Along. Maybe you just buried it, but it's still there. I don't know. Whatever the case, you say, Pastor Blake, I'm saved today by the grace of God, but God has spoken to my heart about something, and I needed this text. Who would say that with heads bowed? Would you lift your hands through the room? Praise the Lord. Amen. That's awesome. God wants to do in your heart what God did in Joseph's heart. So that one day you can take your hand and in sincerity and love and grace or your father will be able to take his hand or your brother or someone you love or your children or grandchildren because of the miracle of grace in your life, it changes everyone around you. Perhaps you're here today and you're that person that doesn't know. You're not sure if you died today, you'd be in heaven. You say, Pastor Blaylock, I don't. I really don't. But if God is willing to send his son sinless, to die on a cross, to shed his blood for me, if he's willing to go to Calvary and suffer and then be resurrected, if he's willing to save me, I want to be saved. And today I I admit I need to be. If there's anyone here like that and you say, Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm saved, but I'd like to be sure. I won't embarrass you or come to you. God bless you, young lady. I see your hand. Anyone else? Raise it up high. Who'll join these dear folks? God bless you. I'm not sure I'm saved, all right? We're going to pray in a moment and have a time of invitation. You know, people talk about miracles. Turn on TV and some televangelist talks about miracle. There is no greater miracle than the miracle of grace that God does in people's hearts. Transforming them. God hath made me forget all my toil, all the pain and the suffering, and God hath made me fruitful because I forgot. Father in heaven, bless now the invitation we committed into your hands, and we thank you for the example of Joseph and even far greater, the example of our Lord Jesus. And I pray, Father, that we'll be free, that your people will be free in Christ to serve you without the weights and the besetting sins of the past. For these who have asked for prayer, draw them to you, Lord. And these dear people who said, pray for me for salvation, we do pray for them, that they will open their hearts to Jesus Christ today. In Jesus' precious name, amen.